0: Please open the Word of God this morning to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. My text this morning comes from verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. May the Lord give us wisdom and understanding of His holy Word this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want us to focus our attention this morning on that little phrase, "Let us have grace." Now in some other translations, in some other translations, uh, it may be translated, "Let us be thankful or let us give thanks or let us have gratitude." But in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28, in the original Greek, guess how it reads Wherefore we receive a kingdom in which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly in the original text interestingly it is very simply put guess what it reads let us have grace So in other words I think the the received text here from what we have in our pews the new King James is the most accurate because you see it's not talking about just the spirit of thankfulness that we are receiving a kingdom, that is not being shaken, although we are. But it is focusing upon the theology, if you will, of grace. This is speaking of the very doctrine of grace that we find throughout the Scripture. Indeed, we can do nothing apart from Christ. So we must have this grace. We must be appropriating this grace in order that we can serve God effectively. Jesus said we are to pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the grace that we need. We need this grace right now in our everyday lives. We're going to receive it. It's going to be the power by which we enter into the, twi- uh, the realm of glory, but we need it now. We sang this morning that... Sin and despair like the sea waves cold threaten the soul with infinite loss. You see, we, we face that every day. Things threaten our soul. But we need to see, and we're going to see that from our text this morning, that grace is greater, yes, there is grace untold. That's what we're going to be looking about today. We're going to implore the Lord that we indeed would have Grace. Now, we understand that we are so saved totally by the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We, we have done nothing to merit our salvation. It's all based upon the loving kindness and mercy in Christ. It is all according to what He has done for us, not what we have done in any way. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. It's all about Him. We know the only reason that we are saved is because that we have been chosen, that we had been elected according to that election of grace and God's merciful, gracious choice. In Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5, the Scripture says, "...in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of His will." So no doubt, our salvation is completely, totally, from beginning to end, rooted in the grace of God. But, that's not what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about this morning about the fact of how this grace is to be continually appropriated and applied throughout our life here upon this earth. I want you to uh, turn in your Bibles, if you will to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want us to see first of all that it is grace that is the source for any fruitful ministry. Grace is the source for any fruitful ministry. 1 Corinthians 15 In verse 9, For Paul said, For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul had nothing to glory in. The Lord's grace was marvelous to him. Even though he was a persecutor and a blasphemer, he says in another place, Yet I had received grace. Now verse ten. But by the grace of God I am what I am. He doesn't say, Well, you know, the Lord chose me because I'm I'm really intelligent, I have a pedigree this long, although he, he did. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee, as yes, to touching the law, blameless. He dotted all of his eyes and had all of his T's crossed. But yet he says all that was I count as dumb save. For the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am what I am by the grace of God and His grace toward me was not in vain. But He says there that I labored more abundantly than they all. Is He bragging about Himself? Absolutely not. He says because in my laboring yet it was not I but it was the grace of God that was with me. It was the provision of God, the power of God, the enabling of God that allowed the Apostle Paul to be the Apostle that he was. It was the grace of God that prevented the Apostle Paul from continuing to be one who was persecuting the church. It's all wrapped up in the grace of God. And concerning us, the scripture says that we also have been given different gifts to serve the Lord, and that gifts come to us through that grace of God which is given to us. Romans chapter 12 and verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace of God that was given to us. So you see, this gracious, sovereign bestowal of grace to serve uh, with gifts is God-given and we should receive however God has gifted us with great humility. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt with. His gifts out to each person. In Hebrews chapter 12, if you'll turn there with me in your Bible, how do we serve? How do we bear fruit? How do we continue the work of the ministry? Hebrews chapter 12, Therefore also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Why looking unto Jesus? Because He's the author of grace. He's the bestower of grace the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. He's the perfect example. How can we live the Christian life? How can we do anything fruitful for the glory of God? It is only through the appropriation of that grace that He bestows upon us. It's only through this grace that we can run. It's only through this grace that we can serve that we can put away sin that we can endure the difficulties of this life. Grace is the source behind any fruitful ministry. And then I want us to look, secondly, that grace is the only thing that will sustain us in our weaknesses. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 12. He says, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Now, let's think of that in reference to our our text this morning in verse 28. Let us have grace. Look at verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom. Therefore, think back about everything that the writer of the Hebrews has said. That's why he places the word therefore. Therefore, based upon all of these things, all of these principles. All of this struggling throughout the Christian life. What's the premise? We must have His grace to endure this. Second point here is because we're weak, we need His grace. We need to have these hands which hang down and these feeble knees strengthened. I love the words from Isaiah chapter 40. Many of you know these. You don't have to take the time. To turn there. But He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, He increases strength. Even the youth shall grow faint and weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Paul wrote to Timothy, My son, be strong. How? Be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses that Terry read this morning. These are some of the favorite verses of another uh, member that we have in the pew with us today. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7, "But we have this treasure, this salvation in other words, this Gospel treasure in these earthen vessels. In order that the excellence of the power of God may be of God and not us then Paul mentions four things in verse 9, four, four metaphors to describe the difficulties of life. In verse 8, we are, first of all, we're hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed. Sometimes we don't know what the answer is going to be, or how to find answers, or what God is doing in this situation. But we're not in despair. We're persecuted. That was the continual realm that Paul found himself in. But although persecuted by men, we know that we're not forsaken by God. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. You see, God's blessings, God's strength came to the Apostle Paul in the midst of great weakness and great difficulty. And Paul says, it was my privilege to endure all of these things because God was working. The life of Jesus was being made manifested. Look at verse 12. So then death, as it were, is working in us, but life is working in you. Because those to whom Paul was ministering could see that there was a divine enablement in the Apostle Paul that he was not capable of bringing forth himself. God was doing things that were immeasurable. He says there, look at verse 15, "...for all things are for your sakes, in order that..." what? "...in order that you might look and see how able I am to do something?" No for all things are for your sakes, in order that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. You see this grace working. When we're cast down, when we're struggling, when we're perplexed, when we're at our weak end, when we have no more power, grace is made manifest in our life in order that the power of Christ might be seen in the midst of our weakness. And then he says then when this happens we're thankful we praise God for what he's doing because of that grace that is administered because we see the very divine power being displayed even in, in the midst of our weakness And then turn with me to second Corinthians chapter 12 in a like manner This is our third point if you're taking notes. That grace is seen in the midst of our infirmities and in the midst of our sickness. Many of us here know what it is like to live our lives with some with chronic pain, some with acute pain, some here with with illnesses that we cry out to God for. And many times God is pleased uh, to heal and to relieve us of these infirmities. But sometimes God has other plans. Look in Second Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Now, as many of you know, we're not sure what this thorn in the flesh is. I tend to think that it was indeed something of a physical problem because he does relate it um, as an infirmity in verse 9. Some would say eyesight. Some have mentioned uh, epilepsy. We're not sure what the infirmity was but in all probability it was a thorn physically, physically because it was a thorn in the flesh was given to me and it was given to him by a messenger of Satan to buffet me to bring me to the end of myself lest I should be exalted because he had, had, had glorious visions of, of the thirds of heavens when he was caught up and he saw things that were so glorious that he could not even speak of them And in the providence of God, God allowed this messenger of Satan to give him this storm. And in verse 8, the apostle cried out to the Lord, I pleaded with the Lord three times that that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So, Lord, sign me up for that, right? And we all say that, right? Give me that sickness. Give me that pain. Give me that whatever it is. Now we wouldn't say that. We wouldn't volunteer for that. But yet, when it comes, child of God, be sure that his grace is going to be administered to you. To show you that his absolute strength can be made perfect. In your weakness, therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities, not because I like the infirmities, but rather that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecution, in distresses, not because He liked those things, but because in those things. In these areas, for Christ's sake, when I am weak, then am I made strong. This is what we face, isn't it? Sin and despair, like the waves grow cold, threaten the soul with infinite loss. But be assured, whatever we're going through, there is grace that is greater, there is grace that is untold that God is working with you. He's right there in the midst of you pouring His grace into your life. Giving you everything that you need. Giving you the wisdom and the strength to carry on until He takes you home. In another place, the Apostle Paul, when he was comparing himself with the other apostles, admitted that he was nothing in and of himself. And he said that his sufficiency is from God And God alone. Grace gives us everything that we lack in the midst of our infirmities. And then, fourthly, grace is given to us in order that we might be faithful. Let's go back to our chapter in Hebrews chapter 12. And verse 13. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. You see, it's the grace of God. Let us have grace that we might stay along the straight and narrow. We've been studying Pilgrim's Progress here in our first hour And there was a time when Christian was turned out of the way by a certain Mr. Worldly Wise Man who encouraged him to travel to the village of morality where he might inquire of a Mr. Legality in order that he might find a more uh, serene way to, to carry on to the celestial city because the way was so difficult. So Christian thought, well, for a while, you know, that sounds pretty good. So Christian veered off of the straight and narrow path that led to the celestial city. But very soon he found out the way in which he had been directed by Mr. Worldly wise man, was a very steep hill. It was a hill of great difficulty. A hill that could not be climbed. The name of that hill... Was Mount Sinai. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 18, the writer of the Hebrews mentions these same verses for those that were struggling to be made faithful in the Lord. In verse 18, He says to them concerning this same hill that Christian was attempting to climb up, for you have not come to that mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the words so that those that heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. Verse 21, And so terrifyingly was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. You see, what that is a a depiction of is the terror of the law. Even though the law was good and it shows us our need of Christ, it's impossible to attain to. Just as Christian could not climb to the top of Mount Sinai. And the law was given, and there was the sound of the trumpet, and the, the mountain was quaking, and there was fire and blackness, and the people were terrified. Okay. That's a depiction of the law. A law that we cannot keep, a law that we cannot endure. You see. But you see, in in Christ, in the gospel, we don't have to go to Mount Sinai. Where do we go? Verse twenty-two. But you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly in the church of the firstborn who are arrested in heaven, to God and the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel. No, we don't go to Mount Sinai. We go to Mount Zion where Christ gave His life for us in Jerusalem. Was died and buried and rose again the third day. From which grace pours out to those who believe. A grace that, that gives us the power and the strength and the, and the fortitude, the endurance to be faithful, said. That's the grace that we have received from Mount Zion. It's a, it's a grace... Uh, that allows us to continue to be faithful. Because in and of ourselves, what are we? We're weak. We're infirmed. Often we're uninformed. Sometimes we're just downright fickle. We're easily distracted. And sometimes we're faithless. But His grace is all sufficient for us. Who allows us by His power, by His strength, by His provision to make straight paths for our feet that we might be faithful, that we might walk in the straight and narrow. And then, fifthly, there is grace for any kind of help that we need. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. We just read that from Mount Zion there was a mediator of the new covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lives to make intercession for us. Therefore, in this gospel era, It is our privilege and our prerogative to see Him, to seek Him. Look at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us and with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted as we are, yet without Sin and look at verse 16. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace, where Christ is our mediator who sits at the right hand of God, that we might find grace to help us in whatever time of need that we are experiencing. Yes, it is called the throne. Of grace that we may may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That we might be strengthened. That we we might be encouraged. That we might be comforted. Whatever we need. That we might find His strength and His provision. One of you yesterday mentioned to us. A Mentioned to me the very fact that sometimes we need this encouragement, and he mentioned to me sometimes you know a parent just a little child he's in turmoil he's crying he's whimpering he doesn't know which way to turn he needs the calm. he needs some assurance, and sometimes all that parent has to do is say come unto me little little John your little Mary and hug that little child. And tell that little child, to assure that little child, you know your mom's with you, your dad's with you. We love you. Nothing's going to happen to you. We're here. You're under our care. We're going to take care of you. Hey, let's go. Let's let us go let us let us go get some ice cream. It might cheer you up. You see, sometimes we need this consolation from our heavenly Father, and that's why we have. Thank you, Robert, for that illustration. I'll pay you after the yeah. So you see, we need. We need to understand that He reigns in a throne of grace. And we can come to Him boldly in a time of need in order that we might cry out when we are at our wits' end, when we are faithless, when we are discouraged, when we're weak, when we're sick, when we're maimed, when we've gone out of the way. God, help us. Give us this grace in this time of need. Again, folks, I hope hope you see the the import of this text. Let's go back and look at it again. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28. Therefore, in light of the fact that we are receiving a kingdom, hey, why are we receiving a kingdom? By the way, is it based on anything we've done? It's because of the absolute, sovereign, merciful, all-sufficient grace of God. That's why we're receiving this kingdom. And it's a kingdom which not is, is not going to be shaken. Everything else in this world is shaken. It's falling apart. It's not going to endure. But why is this kingdom not going to be shaken? Because it's upheld by the grace of God. You see. So therefore, as we're passing through right now between this earthly place and the kingdom of God we need that grace that sustains us and that's the only thing that's going to sustain us and when we get to heaven we're going to look back and we're going to be amazed at the fact that all of these times when we were weak when we were sick when we were sorrowful when we were downcast that it was the grace of God in us that would sustain us we're saved totally and completely by the grace of God. We are sustained. We're empowered. We're made to be faithful totally by the grace of God. So we're to serve God acceptably according to who He is, not manward, manward ways. We're to serve God in accordance with who He is, who, what His character is, what His attributes are. And then we look to Him and we bow down before Him and in all humility and in reverence And in godly fear, we confess that we are nothing in and of ourselves. We are totally dependent upon that grace which he is pleased to minister to us. That that grace is, it has no, there's no bottom in the barrel, folks. It's an endless supply. He keeps on giving and giving and giving to his own children. Amen. Now, guess what? How many points have we covered? We've covered four, five points. Five points. Well, guess what? i get got seven more for you. Yeah. But here, here's the good news. We're going to go through them really quick. And you don't have to take notes or you can just jot the, the Scriptures down. You see what I'm trying to emphasize to you here this morning from the Word of God? That it is a grace of God that allows us to do anything and everything for God. All right, point six. Did you know that we need the grace of God in order to even praise God? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You see, that singing, that praise is just an outworking of the grace of God in us. Let us have grace in order that we may praise and glorify God. Seventhly, seventh, we need grace in order simply to speak for the Lord. Colossians 4.6 Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each, each person that asks you. you see, we need this wisdom. We need this grace from God in order that we might be a faithful witness, even. Eighth, we need the grace of God in order that we might be able to maintain peaceful relationships. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short, not appropriate that grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up and cause trouble. By this, many can uh, defile. So you see, it's grace uh, that, that... allows us to live in peace with one another. As much as in You is, let us live peaceably with all people. It's also grace... uh, This is the ninth point. that Grace gives us the ability to live a holy and pure life. Look at verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. If you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. He was more concerned about the the meager things of this earth and filling up his stomach than he was seeing the blessing of God or, or desiring the blessing of God. So you don't fall short, you see. It's by the grace of God that enables me to love one another, even when sometimes they may not be that loving. It's the grace of God that enables me to look past that person's fault and love them anyway, and you towards me as well. <laughs> uh, that we, we need this grace for relationships and for peaceful living. And then tenthly, grace is, uh, grace is also the foundation and the means through which we give monetarily, give our money. Uh, in Second Corinthians chapter nine, verses six through nine, we'll not take the time to to turn there. But the gist of that is, you know, God wants us to give, not based upon the fact that we're, you know, we're worried about uh, how much we give, or or we're worried about the consequences, or or, or whatever. But God says that He is able to, able to make all grace abound towards you. If we remember that it's, it's totally by by grace that we even have the, the breath in our lungs as well as the way He's blessed us monetarily. So we're just so happy in grace that we want to give based upon the grace of God. And God loves a cheerful giver. The Apostle Paul there also... In, uh, as he's writing to the Corinthians in chapter 8 and verse 7. Again, you don't have to turn there, but he says, you've excelled in so many ways, church at Corinth. Excel as well in this grace of giving. Grace is the foundation for everything. Grace, point 11. Grace is the, the very provision for our peace and our hope. In second Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses sixteen and seventeen, hear the word of God. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope, how by grace it is by the grace of God that He encourages, that He comforts for us, and gives us this hope in order that. your your hearts may be comforted and you may be established in every good word and work. You see, it's the grace of God poured out into our heart that provides us such great peace and great hope. We sang this morning, we sang Amazing Grace. It was the grace of God that relieves our fears. It instills in us this glorious hope that we have. It's not just the power of a positive attitude, is it? No, because we know that by the grace of God, He has for us in store an unshakable kingdom. And we have this hope based upon the fact that this grace of God has been poured out in our heart. Not to mention the fact that when we are in Christ, we have the, the blessed Holy Spirit that resides in us, that is a promise of the inheritance that we have waiting for us. For if we have not the Spirit of Christ, we are none of His. The Spirit of God in, in us bears witness that we are the children of God. And this is a seal promising us concerning the inheritance that we have for us. That grace provides for us great peace and great hope. And that grace also is a grace that we cannot live without. It's point 12 when we are facing death not David say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Paul said, For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. In the last hours of our life, the grace of God does not abandon us. His grace is promised to us. Again, again, Amazing grace to Him through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. That grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. We all need dying grace on that day when we are going to see the Lord. This grace is also sometimes spoken of as, as passing grace. Death is the final stage of our walk. Our walk through the fields of grace because that's, a, that's what they are. The Christian life is walking through a field whereby we appropriate the grace of God in whatever situation, whatever trial we are in. And when we are dying, this is God's last opportunity to bless the believer on earth in time with that grace, that strength, that provision, that consolation, that comfort. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. That word blessed die means to be supremely blessed or to be happy. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. And by the way, just saying, the root word for that word blessed is the word what? Grace. We need grace even in the last hours of our life. And that grace is promised for us. A glorious provision. Now as we conclude, let's look at Hebrews chapter 13. There's a little phrase you may want to underline there. In Hebrews chapter 13. We'll read the whole verse. Do not be carried carried about with various and strange doctrines. You see, grace will keep you from heresy as well. That'd be point 13. i just add a point, is that okay? Uh, Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that the heart be, here it is, that the heart be established by grace. That's what we've been talking about is Our hearts need to be established in the grace of God. Our hearts need to be procured in the grace of God. To be strengthened in the grace of God. To be made stable and strong, confirmed, how is that? In the grace of God, in that glorious provision. That's why Peter says, may the God of all grace who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus. I for you have suffered a, a while, perfect and established and strengthen you and settle you. How is that? It's done through the grace of God that we're perfected, strengthened, established, settled down. Okay? It's that infinite, matchless, indispensable grace that keeps on giving and giving and giving no matter what our need is. What is it? You know, this great, this, this is such a, a glorious truth. It's hard to explain, isn't it? This grace. What is grace? Well, is it not the very presence of God that He manifests to us, that He provides for us, that He supplies to us in order that we might serve, in order that we might be strengthened, in order that we might be made whole, that we might be faithful, that we might have His peace, that we might have His power, that we may bear fruit, that we can endure trouble, temptation, and that we can die in this grace and say praise to God. You see, but why is this grace given? Ultimately it's given that God, as this grace is appropriated by us, that this grace is lived in, that God is pleased with us. And He is honored and glorified as we live in His grace. As I mentioned before, I think we're going to be shocked when we get into glory. I don't know what it's going to be like, but if we look back upon our lives and we see how God had ministered His grace to us, It's going to be more and more a a reason to praise God for the manifold grace that He's poured out in our lives. Grace is mentioned, is it not, so many times in salutations and benedictions in the New Testament. Why do you suppose it there? Is it just a, a good formality, a proper formality of how to begin or end a letter? Or is it just a polite nicety that the apostles used? No, it's not. These admonitions at the beginning and the endings of letters are nothing more than prayers and admonitions and exhortations to each of us. Look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 25, the very last verse in this epistle. They were given in order that truly, truly, prayerfully, your encouragement. This is what you need. Verse 25. That grace would be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word this morning. Thank You, Almighty God, that You are a God of grace and mercy and kindness. Lord, we just give You praise for who You are. Be pleased, Lord, to bring these things to our remembrance that we would live in the grace of God. That we would be strengthened and be faithful and rejoice and honor You. And not allow trials to cause us despair. Thank You, Lord, for Your all-sufficient grace.